Just last year's assembly, General Assembly, the delegates, including myself, voted on reproductive justice as a topic of study and action. In the year since General Assemblies, uh, there have been lots of material, lots of ways to advocate for more comprehensive health care for all people. We've even done a class here on reproductive justice with materials from the Unitarian Universalist Association, and I happen to be participating in that class. It was wonderful. We had such good discussions and rich conversation, and it really pointed out the fact that it doesn't matter how many Unitarian Universalists are in the room, you will have more than, um, say, nine opinions if there are nine people in the room. We don't all come from the same place in our processing, in our belief system, and in what we think is right. The best part about that six-week class was that we kept talking to each other. We understood that we all had the best intentions and that we wanted to learn from each other. So I think I should start with a little bit of vocabulary here because there were some words, some things that might make you feel a little uncomfortable as we're talking about sacred sexuality today. Yes, on Sunday morning in the sanctuary. So let's talk with, about one word that really kind of needed a lot of discussion to wrestle with. Sacred. Sacred because that carries so much baggage with it anymore. If you come from a different religious tradition, you grew up with that, sacred means those things that you do not touch, that are set aside, locked away, don't change them. Let's take that back. Let's use sacred as a way to lift something up out of the ordinary, to look at it as extraordinary, and beautiful and special rather than locked away. Because let's face it, locking away sexuality is what got a lot of us in trouble in the first place. So sacred as in special, set apart perhaps, but not locked away. Sexuality, that other kind of Oh, don't talk about that. Let's talk about it. Sexuality does not necessarily mean just the act of sex. I said it. I did. In the sanctuary. (laughs) On Sunday morning. Sexuality is our whole being. We are sexual beings. We're kind of constructed that way. We are also spiritual beings. How on earth does that work? We'll talk about that. One of the exercises we did during this six-week class on reproductive justice was take the word spiritual and the word sexuality, and we split into two groups, separate rooms so we couldn't hear each other, and listed some words that came to mind when we think about spirituality, and when we think about sexuality. And then we came back together with those two lists, and it was remarkable, the number of them that were the same. They were the same. 
Matthew Fox, in his book, The Hidden Spirituality of Men, mentions a few. These are a little more than what we came up with, but I love them. Union, communion, passion, oneness, pleasure, fulfillment, ecstasy, emptying, rest, awe, reconciliation, play, Try that for yourself. Take those two words and list some things, and some of them might be negative. Let's face it, some of them are going to be negative for both lists. I'm hoping that the positive will outweigh the negative, and if they don't, let's work on that together. thought a lot as I was reading and reading and reading about spirituality and sexuality, and there's a tremendous amount of material out there if you really want to try. And I came across a reading that just, it, I have a little trouble reading it because it just fills my heart so much. A philosopher, John Giles Millhaven, was talking with his friend Fergal. That's his only name. I can't find another one. His name is Fergal. About this very thing the disconnect between spirituality and sexuality anymore. And Fergal went away for a few days, and he wrote this long passage to his friend, the philosopher John. And he wrote about sleeping like spoons with his wife, Julia, and how that was a very spiritual thing for him. Sleeping like spoons, not a sexual but erotic thing. A blissful giving way by bodily self to itself. A sweetness of complete relaxing, of luxurious letting go of muscles, skins, nerves, and all. An effortless, sensuous shedding of all concerns, worries, even thoughts. The complete, pure pleasure of falling asleep this way. Yes, this, like this. So often anymore, instead of that blissful, relaxing letting go, sex and sexuality are used as weapons. Audre Lorde, poet, black feminist, she describes herself as a black, lesbian, feminist poet. Her essay, The Erotic as power. I know, there's another word, the erotic. It's kind of a scary word because it has a lot of baggage with it too. But I love the way she looks at that word, erotic. She describes pornography, a direct denial of the power of the erotic, all that energy and passion inside of us as it represents the suppression of true feeling. Pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling. Let's face it, it's never just sex. Never. Sexuality is used to sell everything anymore. I'm sort of afraid to turn on the television or open a magazine because 
I have to admit, I am not going to buy that dish soap just because the woman looks fabulous in that. I don't think my dishes are going to look like that, and I am certainly never going to look like that. Somehow, deodorant is not that sexy. I don't know why somebody thought that was a good idea. Yes, deodorant is sexy. And the floor wax. No. Why? Why do we keep doing that? Why does that keep happening? Are we buying those products because of that? I don't know, maybe the toothpaste. <laughs> I think all those things kind of contribute to what unfortunately has been called rape culture anymore. I want to back away from that one, man. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't want a rape culture. I don't want my children growing up in a culture that somebody claims is that kind of culture. It's become far too easy to display oneself or one's friends in compromising positions anymore. And I don't understand why anybody thinks that's a good idea either. <laughs> Is it all part of the bullying, teasing, putting somebody down to make yourself feel better? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I don't know any parent who says, yeah, that's okay, you know. Maybe I just don't know the, the parents who do that. I know parents who say, share, be kind to each other. How do we get back on track to a culture, a society, to people who are kind to each other? no matter what, who express anger in a way that says, I am angry, but it's not your fault. How do we lift up our boys and our girls and our men and our women and our teenagers and say, sexuality, your identity is yours, it is precious no matter what. How do we say, wait, think, feel first, learn first, then play? <laughs> Rabbi Abraham Heschel offers three ways to respond to creation. I think they apply very well to this, the idea of sexuality as a sacred thing. So you can respond by exploiting it, by enjoying it, or, whoops, where did I go? <laughs> or by, I love that, my favorite part, so why don't, accepting it with awe. With awe. That might work better than sexuality selling soap. Another quote from, this is from Joseph Jastrub, by Eros, or the erotic. I mean, the passion for connection that is imminent in the, to the entire universe. 
By sacred, I mean the felt experience or embodiment of that connection or union. A sacred erotic sensibility has to do with establishing a love relationship with the entire universe through the body. In Audre Lorde's essay on the power of the erotic, she talks about that same thing. Not just keeping that erotic, passionate power in a sexual relationship, but letting it flow through everything you do in music, in art, in your work. Can you imagine how different work would be if you were like, yeah, I'm going to work today and I'm going to do this? Wow. We might have a happy planet. We might have a happy planet. We might have happy us. We might have happy you. Talk about numinous sexuality. Numinous, spiritual or supernatural, surpassing comprehension, surpassing comprehension or understanding, something mysterious. It's always going to be mysterious. Who you are, how you're feeling, how you got that way. But we can celebrate that and lift that up. Audre Lorde again. For once we begin to feel deeply all aspects of our lives, we begin to demand from ourselves and from our lives pursuits that they feel in accordance with that joy we know ourselves to be capable of. Living with joy. She further illustrates this by talking about the World War II when you had packets of margarine that came in white. It was just white. Mmm, yum. But there was a tiny pellet of intense yellow color, and in order to get the palatable, more yellow, sort of butter-like color, you would have to break that little thing and then mush and mush and mush and mush. She talks about that erotic power as that little intense yellow pellet. And it's amazing all by itself, but then you can squish it all through everything else. And it's all so much better that way. Not gooey white, it's butter. How do we get there? That's the kind of the idea of getting back on track, taking back spirituality, sexuality in a way that's healthy for all. Here's my plug Our Whole Lives, a sexuality education program developed by the United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Universalist Association. Lest you think it's all for kids, there is a program for young adults. There is a program for adults. Yeah, that's right, you all. I'd love to see you there. Sexuality education is a lifespan. A lifespan program, just like religious education is. What you believed when you were in kindergarten and what you knew about your body in kindergarten are a little different than what you believe now, what you believe spiritually now, and what you know about your body now, and what you do with your body now. 
and that will continue to change. I'm hoping it's a celebration for you. And if it's not, I hope that you can find people who will help you get there again. So, our whole lives has programs for kindergarten and first grade, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, middle school, high school, young adult, and adult. And it's all different. It's all age appropriate. There are programs before you start. Parents of the children must come to a orientation where they will find out exactly what will be talked about. If you're in the middle school age group, you will see the slides. <laughs> That's right, the slides. There's a reason they're not available online. They're a little intense when you see them all at the same time. But it's not so bad when it's one here and one a couple weeks from now. The middle school class is a rather interesting phenomenon because a lot of times kids will get signed up by their parents who say, you will go to this. And as usual, the first couple days of the class, the middle schoolers are like, oh, we're going to go to that again. And I have yet to find one middle schooler who refused to go. They don't talk about it afterwards. <laughs> but they go. And I've heard stories that usually about three or four years later when those middle schoolers are now in high school or maybe even college, sometimes they come back and they tell their instructors and their leaders, thank you. It's knowledge is power. If you know what's up ahead, or what could happen, you might think first. You might feel first before you play. I like that idea. I've been thinking long and hard about this Safe Congregations program as well. It's a series of workshops for congregations to talk about keeping adults, teenagers, children, safe. Some of that is creating the fire escape plan. Some of it is creating a sexual harassment policy, what not to do, how to deal with the problem if it comes up. Some of it is like our child safety policy includes having two adults in every classroom. I'm still working on that, by the way. It's also a way to really explore maybe some of those hidden things inside yourself. All those things that are kind of there, you're not really thinking about them too much, but if you start talking about them, they come out. It can be a very empowering, cleansing, opening experience. It can be scary. It's so worth it. So worth it. So I will be recruiting for OWL leaders for all ages. Uh, there's trainings coming up all over the East Coast, not too far away. If you think you'd want to do that, think about it. Think about what kind of a program we could have here at the United... Uh, where am I? I'm awesome. UUCF, how's that? Just think. The greatest part is once we are comfortable with that, we start outreach. We offer OWL to the community. And that's how you start creating that society that views sexuality as a sacred thing. It's not a cheap toss-away kind of thing. You think about it. 
you feel before you play. One other piece of that how do we get there is revisiting all the work that was done to become a welcoming congregation so we are a safe and welcoming place for all people, no matter how you express your sexuality, no matter how you identify yourself. All those pieces that Reverend Carl talked about with the ginger, uh, gender-bred person last week. Let's reach toward one another, toward a luminous, numinous sexuality, a sacred sexuality, bright and shining, that is ours, that reflects well, that feels confident, that imbues our lives with passion. Will you take a moment here before our time together here ends? If you could close your eyes, if you feel more comfortable, reach toward someone near you. You don't have to touch if that's not comfortable. Reach toward the person. Breathe together for a moment. Feel that numinous, luminous energy we create together. And whisper, blessed be. <laughs>